This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. I want to begin tonight by asking you a simple uh, but yet an important question. How you answer the question will largely determine uh, and shape your view about God. My question is simply this. What do you think God thinks about you? What do you think God thinks about you? Because whether we say it or not, we all care about what others think about us. And what we think they think about us largely determines what we think about them. I'll say that again. What we think others think about us largely determines and shapes our view of them. And likewise with God, what we think he thinks about us will largely determine and shape our view about him. Get this wrong and you'll go through your Christian life always beating yourself up, wondering, does God love me or does he not love me? Does God care about me or does he not care about me? Is God's plan for me good or is God's plan for me not so good? And so we as believers, how we think God thinks about us is very, very important to your whole spiritual welfare. Now, we have no doubt that God loves us when we succeed. But does he love us when we fail? We're absolutely sure that God loves us when everything is going great. But what about when it's going pear-shaped? Does he still love us? We know that God loves us whenever our thoughts are pure and holy. But what if they're black and ugly? Is God fickle like we are? Does God's view about us, does it vacillate by the day and by the hour? Or by just how he feels at certain times? So it's helpful then to know how God used to see us, but how God sees us now. How God used to see us before we came to Christ, but how God sees us now that we are in Christ. And there's a vast difference. So let's look at before, and then we'll look at after in a moment. Here's how God saw us before. He saw us condemned. John 3.18, Jesus said, He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And that's where we were. We were condemned before a holy God because we did not believe in his Son. Then we were lost Matthew 18, 11. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. And there's no question about it. We were 
lost. We did not know the way. We were completely and utterly lost. Not only that, but we were guilty. Romans 3.19. All the world is guilty before God. So we stood before a holy God, guilty, condemned, and lost. And not only that, but we were spiritually dead, Ephesians 2 and 1. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead to God. Something happened to our spirit, and it came from the fall. Sin had entered in, and it caused us to be dead spiritually before God. And not only that, we were alienated from God, Ephesians 4.18, being alienated from the very life of God, estranged from the very life of God himself. And not only that, we were his enemies, Romans 5 and 10, Colossians 1.21. We were enemies in our minds to God. You say, well, David, I didn't exactly feel I was God's enemy. But as far as God was concerned, you were an enemy. And you were guilty. And you were condemned. And you were lost. And then not only that, but Ephesians 2 and 3, we were children of wrath. We were by nature children of wrath, just as others. So our very nature was condemned. Our very nature was sinful. Our very nature was estranged from God, alienated from the life of God. So that's not a very good picture, is it? So you can see, this is how God saw us. We were in terrible, dreadful shape. God saw us condemned because we refused to walk in his light. God saw us lost because we walked in paths of sin. God saw us guilty because we continually broke his laws. God saw us spiritually dead because we were separated ourselves from God. So we were alienated, enemies, children of wrath, because we kept choosing evil instead of good. We kept choosing the wrong instead of the right, death instead of life, sin instead of righteousness. We were in terrible, terrible straits before a holy God. But thank God he didn't leave us there. <laughs> God saw us needing his mercy and his grace. He saw us needing his love and his forgiveness. He saw us needing reconciliation and redemption and a new birth. So what does God think of us now? What does he think about us after we have come to Christ. Every Christian is seen by God as being in Christ. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul tells us a number of things how God sees us right now. Let me just remind you of a few of them. We're loved by God, Ephesians 1, 4. We're adopted by God, verse 5. Accepted, verse 6. Redeemed, verse 7. Forgiven, 
also verse 7. Made to the praise of His glory. Verse 12. Chapter 2, 6. Raised up and seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Made as His workmanship. Ephesians 2, 10. Members of God's household. 2, 19. Partakers of God's promises. 3, 6. God sees us entirely differently today. And there's other things in other scriptures. For instance, we are the children of God, John 1 and 12. We're justified, Romans 3, 24. We're no longer condemned, Romans 8 and 1. We're called by God, Romans 8, 30. We're glorified, Romans 8, 30. We're sanctified, 1 Corinthians 1, 30. We're new creations in Christ. We're reconciled to God. We're the righteousness of God. We're citizens of heaven. We're complete in Christ. We're holy and royal priests to God. We're a chosen generation. We're a holy nation. We're God's own special people and more. That's what we are before God tonight if we're born again of God's Spirit. Thank God we're no longer condemned. We're no longer alienated. No. We're brought into the family of God. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. There's a young man sitting down there. David gave his life to Christ last Sunday night after the service. And that's what God thinks of you now. That's what he thinks of you now. You're part of his family. You put your trust in his son. And he saves us. And he changes us. Ephesians 1 tells us that we're chosen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now the whole teaching of God's election and God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and predestination and God's foreknowledge. It's too much to try to unpack in five minutes. You just can't do that. But yet, even as I said this morning in another context, that the prophet Isaiah and Psalmist David and prophet Jeremiah and the apostle Paul, all of them, all of them agreed that before we were even born, God had a plan and a purpose for our lives. I can't explain that. Nobody can understand that. That is beyond our comprehension. <laughs> How can we begin to understand that before we even existed, God already knew we would be here, and he already had a plan for each and every one of our lives. All we got to do is say, God, I don't know how that works, but it works because you did it, and I trust you, and I have faith in you. And I am your plan. And I'm walking in your ways, in your plan. We are chosen in him, verse 4. We're accepted in the beloved. Now this gives us confidence. It gives us assurance. It gives us hope. It gives us purpose. It gives us destiny. I think, and I didn't give you those verses, but I, I think those verses... And Jeremiah and Isaiah and David and Paul, I, I think for me, at any rate, they are probably the most important verses for me 
because it continually reminds me that God had me in mind before I was ever born, before I ever sat on my mother's knee. He knew I'd be here tonight, and he knew you would be here tonight. That's the God that we serve. I preached this morning about the God of the detail, every detail of our lives he already knew. Ephesians 2 and 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you're walking with the Lord today, as best you know how, you're walking in those good works that he had planned for you before you were ever born. You may not be aware of that. You may not even think about it, but you actually are. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful if you wake up in the morning and you say, God, I am part of your plan and I'm walking in your purposes. <laughs> I don't always feel it. I don't always see it. But I know it according to God's word. And I want God to keep me in that plan and keep me in that purpose. So we're chosen by God. We are redeemed, Ephesians 1 and 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Jesus said in John 8, 34, that we are slaves to sin. Paul said in Romans 7, 14, that we were carnal, sold under sin. So we therefore need it a redeemer. We needed somebody to pay a ransom for our souls, somebody who would buy us out of slavery and free us and release us. That's why Matthew 20, 28 says that Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. And Peter says, for as much as we were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from the vain traditions of our fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb slain without spot or without blemish. What a price had to be paid to redeem us. And no wonder Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that you are not your own. You're bought with a price. Glory. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we don't actually belong to ourselves, we belong to God. We used to feel we belong to ourselves. And that was the resistance to coming to Christ because we didn't want anybody to run our lives, only ourselves. But when you come to Christ, you no longer belong to yourself, you belong to Him. Amen. So He is first say in your life, in all of your decisions, your major decisions in life, he has first say, Lord, is this your will? Lord, is this pleasing to you? Lord, do you want me to do this, to be this, to have this? That's what it means to belong to him. Because then he rules, our life, and he knows what's best for us, far better than we know ourselves. So thank God we're redeemed tonight, that we're washed in the blood of the Lamb that we no longer belong to ourselves, that we belong to him. Well, he created us. God created us. But then he recreated us. And he made us into his image. What a delight it is to know Christ as your Savior tonight. Amen. And God sees us as forgiven. <clears throat> Ephesians 1 and 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins 
according to the riches of his grace. Thank God Paul included that. According to the riches of his grace. The unfathomable riches, the unsearchable riches of Christ, Paul talks about. <laughs> There's no end to the depths of the riches of Christ. And thank God for his grace that has saved us, that can save any man, no matter how far gone they are. Forgiveness here means pardon. It means release. A number of years ago, Sally and I, we were, we were with Claire, and it was the time that she was working for, for Chrissy. And Chrissy's a great... Uh, uh, missions to the to the prisons in the Philippines still does to this day does a fantastic work. I've never seen anybody ever. And, and where's Ferns? Ferns, you can vouch for this. You've been with her. I've never seen anybody like her that can go into those prisons with those men and just have them in the palm of her hand. You know she's about four foot nothing, skinny as a rake, and she goes in there with those big men, and within minutes they're just sitting listening to her because that's what she's called to do. And so we had the, the privilege of a number of times getting into a number of prisons with her and Claire and the team. Uh, and I remember we were in Montanlupa, which Ferns will know is one of the biggest prisons in the Philippines. It's in Manila. It's 25,000 inmates. Can you imagine that? That's about the population of Lisburn, or Lurgan, rather, I should say. 25,000. And it's divided into three areas. There's maximum security, there's medium security, and minimum security. And uh, maximum security is where death row is. And death row is like a prison within a prison. And while most of the other prisoners, can, the prison population, can walk about during the day, uh, but they can't. They, they're contained within a brick building within that big kind of open-style prison. And so we were there and, and got the opportunity to, to preach to those prisoners and uh, very, very conscious that they're on death row. Now, death row... There is, is after the American style of death row, which means you could be there for years, depending on what president is in the Philippines at the time. That whenever we were there at that time, it was, a, it was a lady president, and she said that on her watch, no prisoners would be executed. But then if some other prime minister takes over, president, then that could all change overnight. And uh, Chrissy told us that some of the prisoners told him stories about how that uh, a number of times the guards would come and say, tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock you're being executed. Imagine being told that at 11 o'clock at night before you go to bed. And 6 o'clock came and 6 o'clock went. And they were only winding them up. They weren't being executed. But just the thought of it. And they said they would do that repeatedly. But there was ones that was executed they had been to court, their case was tried, they were sentenced, they were put in prison and death row. And sometimes it took years, but some of them actually then did or were executed. But you and I, before we were saved, we were on death row too. We were. We were tried and found wanting. And we were condemned. And we were sentenced, and we were on death row. And we didn't know when it was coming, but it was surely coming. 
But then thank God he pardoned us. <laughs> thank God he stepped in and he pardoned us. And for those prisoners on death row, even today, whether it's America or Philippines or wherever, if they get pardoned for whatever reason, you can imagine the sheer relief it must be when your life's hanging by a thread and for some reason or other, somebody pardons you. But in order for God to pardon us, it wasn't just enough to say, you're pardoned. He had to send a son to pay our price for our sins and take our death sentence upon himself so that the Father could say, you're pardoned, you're free to go, you're released. What a wonderful gospel this is, isn't it? Hmm. Thank God that we're saved, that we're born again of his spirit, that he knows us better than he know, we know ourselves. God sees us as adopted. Ephesians 1 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accept it in the beloved. Now you have to understand that uh, Romans, uh, whenever, and this is the adoption that the Apostle Paul talks about, it's entirely different than what we think of adoption. I know that Claire in the Philippines does a lot of adoptions, uh, but it's entirely different. Adoptions here was within, within the family. And really what it was was giving someone adult standing within the family and full rights of inheritance. So when the child got a certain age... There was a ceremony which was adoption, even within their own family, to say that that child now has full adult rights of inheritance from that moment on. Two things happen to us at the moment of salvation. You're born again, you become a child of God. 1 Peter 2.2 2. We are babes in Christ, desire the sincere milk of the word as babes in Christ. But Paul says in Romans 8, 14 and 15, at that moment you're given the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And so even though you, as soon as you get saved, you're a babe in Christ, but at that very moment you're given full adult rights of inheritance. So in other words... All the inheritance in Christ that God has given you, he gives you it right there and then. It's yours. Instantly and immediately, you're made an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Clear teaching of Scripture. Romans 8, 16 and 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Glory to God. So the moment you get born again, all of the inheritance that God has given you through Christ, you've got it right at that moment. You don't understand it. You don't realize it. You're not walking in it because you're just a baby. But you've got it. It's yours. And it's a wonderful thing. 
As some enter their inheritance and partake of it quicker than others. Yes, when you get saved, you're a baby in Christ. No question about that. But you don't stay that way. You grow up. You mature. You learn. You feed upon God's Word. The sincere milk of the Word. A baby needs milk to grow. And you grow with the milk of the Word. But you have to mature. The writer to Hebrews and Hebrews 5, 12 and 14 talks about those who hasn't matured, who should be off the milk and onto the meat, he says. He says, I shouldn't have to go over all this again with you. You really should have got that and walking in that. Now you should have moved on. But you're still on the milk when you should be on the meat. And so the inheritance is ours from the moment we are born again of God's Spirit, even though we're baby Christians, but it takes some time for us to mature. It takes a lifetime to walk in all our inheritance that God has given to us. Ephesians 1.18, Paul prays that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Isn't it interesting that God links our inheritance with Christ, his son? But what is more fascinating than that, I think, that God links his son's inheritance with us. <laughs> I mean, it's obvious and it follows that we would have no inheritance at all without Christ. We're heirs and joint heirs with him. But it's not so obvious that his inheritance is in us. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? In Psalm 2, I will give you the heathen for your inheritance. Guess who the heathen were? Us. We were the heathen. We were the Gentiles. We were outside the covenant of God. We were alienated from the life of God. Father says, son, I'll give you them for your inheritance. So we are his inheritance. We are forever linked with Christ in God. He's our inheritance. We're his inheritance. That's amazing. That's the grace of God. That God would give us to his son as inheritance. Now the world hasn't fully seen our inheritance yet. In fact, I doubt if we have fully seen our inheritance yet. 1 John 3, 1 and 2, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Note this, Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. We should not be surprised, and though sometimes we are, but we should not be surprised when the world talks against us 
or the world thinks we're nuts, or the world thinks that we're bad, or the world thinks we're intolerant bigots. We should not think that odd, because it doesn't know us. And it doesn't know us because it doesn't know him. It doesn't understand us. It doesn't understand the way we think, the way we talk, the way we act, the way we live. It's alien to them as it used to be alien to you as well for most of us. Why? Because it doesn't know him. But once you know him, then it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Do you ever talk to an unbeliever and you're talking to them and they're looking as if you had two heads? And I mean, it's just not getting through. They just can't grasp what you're saying. It's alien to them because they don't know him. So you have to pray that the Holy Spirit will come on the job and take some of your words and some of the scriptures you share and plant it into their hearts because they just look at you. It's alien to them. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. <laughs> what a moment that's going to be. I don't know you, but sometimes, maybe this is why I can't sleep some nights, sometimes I think, what's it going to be like to see Jesus for the first time? The one that we have sung about and prayed to and preached about and witnessed for for all these years, and then suddenly, suddenly see him, actually physically see him. What's that going to be like? It's going to be amazing, isn't it? It's going to be tremendous. Now we have all these images. We have seen paintings and pictures and all that stuff there. Maybe he doesn't look remotely like that. But whatever he looks like, it's going to be wonderful. He's going to be wonderful. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And God sees us then, finally, as highly favored. Glory to God. Ephesians 1 and 3. Blessed with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You can't go any higher than that. Sure you can't. Verse 6. We are to be the praise of the glory of his grace. Hallelujah. Verse 11. We have attained an inheritance. Verse 13. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Chapter 2, 5. Raised up together, made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Highly favored by God. Do you feel favored? Sometimes we need to actually think about that. I am favored by God. He favors me. How does God see us now? Chosen. Redeemed. Forgiven, adopted, highly favored. And there's more you could say. What a wonderful position we have tonight in Christ. There is no better place to be than in Christ Jesus. There's no better knowledge to have than to know your place in Christ. And go through this life knowing that you're in the purpose of God that his plans for you are good, that you're walking in his will and purpose, and to know that and to go through life like that, and then one day to crown it all, to stand before him and see him face to face, Hallelujah. and will fall at his feet. 
We hear all kinds of people saying, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this and going to, you know, you're going to ask him anything. And we'll just fall at his feet. Maybe he'll be the one that will be doing the asking. <laughs> and certainly will because believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and all believers before the great white throne. He'll be doing the asking, not us. But what a joy to see him, to look into his eyes, to see the nail-scarred hands, and then everything will be worth it. <laughs> Don't expect your colleagues at work to understand you. They won't, because they don't know him. Don't expect your schoolmates to pat you on the back and think you're a great person, because they probably won't, because they don't know him. But it's enough that he knows you and you know him, and that you go through this life as his ambassador, because we're ambassadors for Christ. Lord, we thank you that you've got a wonderful, glorious plan for each of us. Their lives are hid with Christ in God. And Lord, at tonight, right at this very moment, you favor us. Your smile is upon us. Your grace is in us. Thank you, Lord, for all of these blessings that you bestow freely upon us. We do not deserve them, but that's your grace and mercy. And so we give you thanks. So, Lord, bless us, Lord, as we continue on into this working week, as we continue to be your ambassadors. Lord, as others look at us, may they see something of Christ in us, the hope of glory. They do not understand who we are because they don't know you. But, Lord, if they listen and if your Holy Spirit speaks, Lord, maybe they will come to know you as their personal Savior. Lord, help us play a part in that. Lord, it doesn't have to be our work colleagues. Lord, it can be our very families. It can be our loved ones. It can even be our moms and dads and brothers and sisters. Lord, help us to live for you in such a way that others will come to Christ because of it. So we give you thanks, Lord, for these scriptures that encourages and gives us confidence and assurance of who we are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.